All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13, Numbers 13, we'll get 14 done also. Um, There's some skipping spots, so I won't make you uh, be tortured by my pronunciation or lack of my ability to pronunciate these names, so, or pronounce these names, so. Anyway. nation of Israel moving through the wilderness, coming up to the promised land, and this is the day that we hopefully all get our doctrine about faith straightened out. These two chapters uh, is the explanation of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I'll read that to you. Some of you have it memorized. Um, I don't. Well, I've got some of it memorized, but I always, it's always better to read it for me. Um, it's in the hall of faith, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And every time you have a New Testament truth like that, you have an Old Testament picture to show us what it means to have faith. I saw a plaque, we were down at the Young Men's Christian Association, down in St. Joe, I like to say the full name now, since Gloria Steinem took over as president of the Young Men's Christian Association, which is ironic. Um, it's just turned into the Y now, just youth, um, or young. So it is a Young Men's Christian Association, that's where it started, that's where it needs to stay, but it's changed a little bit, and there's a plaque there that said um, something along the lines of, uh, believe in faith. Not enough. Faith in what? You know? Uh, faith will not save you. Faith in that chair is not going to save me. Faith that it's going to rain today will not save me. Faith in you will not save me. Faith in our president. Faith in our country. Faith in a lot of different things. In fact, everything other than God will not save us or do anything for us. I, faith without him is worthless. And so... We get this idea in our culture, that, in Christian culture even, that faith is enough. You just got to have faith. You need to have more faith. No. <laughs> yeah, but faith in whom? It's a person. Because without um, the subject, um, it's worthless. And so we have this great example in chapter 13 and 14 of Numbers of people that are being moved by faith. God has been leading and guiding them by sight so far. But he's asked them to do something. This is the first time they've been asked to do something. I I want you to do this because I've said so. That's the first ingredient in faith. Faith is not doing something you want to do and asking God to join you. Faith is doing something he's asked you to do, trusting he'll be faithful to complete the work that he's asked you to do. Otherwise, it's presumption. Sometimes we like to use presumption and mix those two words. Well, I'm just just doing this by faith. Mm by direction of God and then following through on faith, or by presumption, come on God, join me in my quest here. And so this straightens things out for us. It begins in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one, a leader among them. And this is where I'm going to skip a little. Verses 3 through 15 describe who they are and who their parents were, who their father was. The important two are Caleb and Hoshea. And verse 16 explains why it doesn't say Joshua. Verse 16 says, These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun Joshua. 
Okay, so Joshua and Caleb. There are 12 men, all of them leaders. I think that's important to point out. All of them leaders of a group of people that are following God, but only two of them are going to do well. Two. That's not a very good percentage. These two men, that's why they single them out. Caleb and Joshua are the two men. They're going to go into the land and do what God's asked them to do. Moses sends some spies out, and I want you to see what I'm going to take you into. I want you to see it. I want you to see it all. I want you to see the difficulties. I want you to see the beauty. I want you to see the absolute impossibility, but I also want you to see the bounty. I want you to see all of it. And so he sends these men in. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land, verse 17 of Canaan, and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Are they in tents, you know, or do they have walls? You know? It's a, kind of a big deal if they have walls. Whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests, uh, or they're not, whichever. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now at the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rohab, or Rehab, Rehob, excuse me, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahaman, she, and I'm not going to force you to listen to that. Um, and these different cities. Verse 23, then they came to the valley of Eshcol, uh, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. So big cluster. Now, some of the coloring pages in Sunday school kind of ruin this because they make them the size of basketballs, you know. And it, it isn't. It's probably regular-sized grapes, just a, a gi- you know, a ginormous bunch of them. Like there's like a thousand of them instead of like a hundred or something like that. So that's what it looks like. But the, the, they get these big grapes. So these, it looks like an Alice in Wonderland kind of coloring page, and the kids are like, whoa, how would you even eat that thing, you know? You better cut that up, or he's going to swallow it whole, you know, the moms that don't, you know, <laughs> to do a lot more than cut it in half. Um, so they're just little grapes, but a ton of them, so much that they had to carry them between, between two guys and a pole. That's, that's awesome. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they spent a long time there going in and out and around and checking everything out. They're going to bring back a complete report. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran uh, at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and we'll see about these guys later. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Now, these names would instill fear in the people because they know who they are. These are barbaric people. Now, as bad as Egypt was, these guys were worse. These are the kind of guys that would put hooks in your jaw and then string you together like in a chain gang, and that's how they would get you out there because you can't fight that. So they just walk with this hook up through. I mean, barbaric stuff, 
take eyes out kind of thing as a conquering thing or cut off thumbs. I mean, they're just bizarre people, very barbaric. And so they, when they mention this, you know, when we, go, when we go to fight, here's who we're fighting. That's a group you don't want to lose to. They don't just kill the king, <laughs> which is bad enough. But they make you pay for even trying to come up against them. And so there's fear. There's fear in this report. It wasn't a factual report. There's an opinion. You'd be careful about that. I learned that in high school. It was one of the greatest classes I ever took was, uh, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was a great subject matter and about media. You know, the difference between a testimonial and factual and what's the difference between a clinical study and a, and a medical study. And there are differences. Clinical is, I could just have a clinical study here today and say we all raised our hands and said this thing worked because everybody ate a leaf. And say clinical studies prove 55% of you got better. You know, clinical. So I learned all these things about this. In media, you've got to watch for emotional phrases in their reporting. Is it a factual report or is there emotions mixed in with it? You're like, this person has an opinion. They're not just giving me the facts so that I can decide for myself. They're, they're mixed in. And, and that filter that was instilled in me way back in junior high school um, helped me. It's helping me now even. As you watch the news, you're like, wow, this person is not hiding anything about how they feel about this subject. You know, They're not giving me the facts. They're not giving them the facts. There's an emotional tinge to this. The word nevertheless. It wasn't just uh, the land flows with milk and honey and the people dwell in long, you know, facts. It was, man, this place is great. But, and that little shake of the head and that little thing makes everybody go, makes their heart sink. But what? You know, why are you guys depressed? Why are you sad? Why are you down? Because the people are gigantic. They're huge. And they begin to talk about them more than the land. Then Caleb quieted the people. That tells me that their response to this was emotional. It tells me that they were feeling downhearted, that there was a, a grumbling going through the whole congregation because Caleb has to quiet the people down before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are able or well able to overcome it. No, 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 no. Don't go down this road. You're spiraling out of control. I think at the same time when Jesus was going to heal that young girl and he got news on the way there because he got hung up on uh, this lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years and finds out as he picks up the pace and begins to walk to this girl's house after healing this lady that news came and said that your daughter's dead. And he could see that Jairus was spiraling out of control in despair. He says, no, 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 believe. Just, we're going to go take care of this. She the news doesn't make any difference. The, the emotional plea from this person with tears in her eyes, it's too late. If you'd only come sooner, Jesus, she would have gotten healed. Jairus is lost and confused. Oh, my daughter's dead. I can't believe this. You know, Jesus calms him down and says, no, wait a minute. That's what Caleb's trying to do to these people. Don't go down that road. Remember who we're with. Remember who's walking beside you, Jairus. You know, it's Jesus. <laughs> Nothing bothers him. But guys, we're walking with the God into this promised land that wiped out the Egyptian army, whom if wanted to could take out the Amalekites, Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites. So why are we worried about them if God took out the bigger army that could have taken them out? Caleb understands and has his eyes fixed on the Lord. 
One thing I want to point out here is Caleb knows all the facts. God wasn't afraid to show Caleb all the facts of the matter. And it's not a lack of faith to see and acknowledge the obvious. That's not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith for for someone to say, this is an impossibility. That's not a lack of faith. To follow up with, it can't be done is a lack of faith. But this is an impossibility, but I'm with God, is faith. Without them knowing that this conquering of this land is impossible, they wouldn't need faith. Faith can't be acted. It can't be started. They're, it's, they're trusting themselves then. It's with this knowledge of it's a beautiful land, just like God said, but the people are giant, but it doesn't matter because God's with us is where their faith is actually started and enacted and activated. We've got to know the difficulty. We've got to know the impossibility. We have to know the struggle. We have to know that with me, it's impossible, but with God... All things are possible. That's in Matthew 19, 26. There, Jesus was describing how rich men can't get saved. There's no way for them to get to heaven. It's, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And they're responsible. Then who can be saved? He says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's faith. It's a lack of faith to believe God can't. Or won't. That's the lack of faith. And so we're getting things straightened out here. First of all, God says, I'm taking you to the land of milk and honey. They're not going there on their own saying, now God, we've decided to take this land of milk and honey. Come alongside of us and take out the enemy so we can have what we want. No, God's already given them a choice. If you go through the hall of faith in Hebrews, all the people that walk by faith, you'll see every one of them was given a mission, a command, or something to do by God, and then they believed God at his word, and they did what he asked them to do, or he did what he told them he was going to do. That's the faith. Nowhere along the line did someone just pick it up and say, I don't know whether God wants me to do this or not, but by faith, no. That's presumption. When God calls us to do something, it's okay to know all the circumstances and all the facts, and we just believe that he will, because he's called me to do it. When it comes to my salvation, I have to get this down. I'm not saved because I chose to be saved, because I think it's a good idea. I'm saved because I believed in what he told me. He told me that I was lost. I don't know that. I've never seen hell. I've never been dangled over the flames of hell. I've never seen Satan. But God told me that I'm lost. He said, these sins have separated you from me. I felt that, but I've never seen that before. But I believe him. And then he said, I've made a way for you to be saved. Because you were going to have to pay the penalty for those sins that separated you from me. I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross instead of you. And your sins that you committed were nailed to that cross. I have to believe that. I don't see that. I don't know that. I've never experienced that. I just know that he said it. So I believe it. Everything's by faith. But this was not my idea. This was all his idea. But my place in this whole scenario, just like these children of Israel, their place is to actually walk across the river and go do it. That's their job. See, God's asked me, I want you to be saved. I want you to believe on my son, Jesus Christ. And now it's my job to respond and say, I do, by faith. I believe on Jesus. It's by faith you're saved, through grace. And so if I don't get this down, I don't understand my own faith. It's that important. And when you begin to twist faith on plaques, or in our own ideas, we mess up the plan of salvation. We don't mean to do that. We would never say we were intending to do that, but you can mess it up. 
You just need to have faith and you'll be saved. No. You have to have faith in the one Jesus or God said to have faith in, Jesus Christ. Having faith doesn't save you. Having faith in Jesus saves you. We mess it up. We've got to get this right. We have to know this. And so he writes these things for our, admin, our, our admonition. And Caleb is pleading with them, don't go down this road. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land uh, which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. That's emotional. It just eats people up. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from, the descendants of Anak came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. These were giant people. This is a, a big group of folk, not just like men of renown, like some say. No, they're like, like nine foot. This is, um, this is who David fought in Goliath. This is that group of people, the sons of Anak, the descendants of Anak. They're gigantic people. They sleep in really big beds, <laughs> as is described in the Bible. And so they're huge. David understood the facts, didn't he? He wasn't afraid of the facts. The facts are, his spear weighs more than I do. I don't know that for a fact, but you know. And I don't have a sword. And I tried to put Saul's armor on and it wasn't going to protect me because I couldn't even move around in it. He knew all the facts. He knew he was a little shrimp. He knew he wasn't even supposed to be at war. He knew he was the youngest. But he also knew this. He knew that God was with him because God wanted to defeat all of the enemies. God had given the nation of Israel standing orders when it came to the, the Philistines. Wipe them out. And this was one of those opportunities to wipe them out. But the children of Israel that were at war, who were supposed to be walking by faith, were sitting in their camp saying, we can't. He's big. No one's going to go out there. Not even Saul had enough faith to go out there and do that. But David did. David knew the facts. He's giant. He's huge. Big spear. Loud. I can hear him all the way over here. You know. But he went down there and picked up five smooth stones. One for him and four for the other brothers. Not because he needed a lot of ammo. He didn't need a big magazine. He just needed one rock, but he wanted to make sure he could take out the other four guys that were there also that were his brothers. And he does. And the guy comes against him, and he begins to scream, you come to me like a dog, I'm going to wipe you out, I'm going to nail you, more or less. And David says, you're coming against, not me, but my God, more or less. David understood that when he went into battle. And he planted. He ran towards him. He ran at the giant, swinging the sling around with the stone in it, and sunk the stone into his forehead. Love that story. Then when he was done, he took the guy's sword and cut off his own head and carried around the head for a while. That's faith. That's the evidence of faith, too. David was walking around with the evidence of faith. That's important. Oh, that's gross. I can't believe it. Oh, oh, I just don't want to see that. No, you understand. Children of Israel, every time they see David walk by, they say, you still carry that thing around? Mm-hmm. My God's big. I mean, his head's big, but God, God is bigger than this guy's head, and I'm holding it. He's not holding mine. That's important. Those stories are important in our lives. Our kids need to see those stories. No, you know, no heads, please. But times when you walk by faith, not because you said so, but because God said so. And they look at it and they say, 
what is this about? Why are you still carrying this around, Dad? I mean, I don't want old, stale stories. I want fresh ones too, but it's nice to have all of them, you know? This is the time when your mom and I walk by faith, and this is what happened. Isn't that amazing? It is, because God is real. This isn't academic. We don't do Bible studies just because we want to memorize the Scriptures, because we want to have a good head knowledge of it. We want a practical application of it. And this is what it looks like to walk in this Word, to walk in the Word of God, to believe on the Word of God. This is what it looks like. And so Caleb, oh, his heart. I, can't ima- I, I mean, I can imagine what he feels like. Why didn't you just send two? Later on, they just send two, by the way. And God said, I want you to send all 12. And only Caleb and Joshua thought they could. Verse 1, chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, like that would be better than dying in the land of the Philistines. Sometimes we say the dumbest things. We're going to die over there. It would have been better to die over here. Palm to face, you know. Oy vey. And they go on. Or if we had died in the wilderness. Well, that's going to happen. Why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword? And here's their excuse. That our wives and children should become victims. What about our kids and our wives? Those poor people. To, to not walk by faith as a man of God is to doom your family. You've got to walk by faith. The safest place we could be in the, is the most dangerous place in the world, but with God. The worst place to be is the safest place in this world without God. We support a, a group, um, Mission of Joy, um, Colonel O'Leary, Jeff O'Leary runs it, started it. His son start, runs it now, I think. And they came and shared at our old church one time when, before we started this fellowship. And um, They were talking about um, missions and uh, taking their kids overseas and all that into these situations. And my question as a new dad was thinking, you know, I don't know if it's right for me to put my kids in harm's way because I feel a call of God. That was kind of how my th- I'm working this out. You know, just because I feel called of God, does that mean I drag, that's how I thought of it, my family into this? And they said, oh, 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 no, 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 no. It was the greatest place for our kids. They learned so much. They learned how to walk by faith. They learned to love God. They learned how not to spend their time. He said one of, the, one of the most dangerous places is in a place where there is no stress, where there is no uh, need for God, where there is no, and they don't rely on him, and they don't need him, and they don't use him, and they don't, you know, trust his word, they don't see his word alive, and being, you know, that's the worst place, but they saw that all in action, now they're all walking with the Lord, you know, and I took that to heart. I'm not dragging my family. It's a blessing to bring your family along with what God's called you to do, but that's not how these guys see it. Our wives and our kids, that's an excuse. You're just afraid. You're afraid and you don't trust God. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Oh. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. This is mob rule. This is congregational rule. Not good. It's never good. Congregational rule never works, ever. You just have grumbling, complaining, and division. That's all it is. Um, This is a great example of it. Poor Moses and Aaron. They just fall on their faces. 
look, we didn't choose this. That's the idea. This is a humbling moment for them. Um, They're not just ducking lightning bolts from God that they feel are going to come down, but they're actually humbling themselves before. Look, choose someone else. But it's never been our choice. It's always been God's choice. And they understand that. Moses and Aaron never chose to lead these people out of Egypt. God chose them. And these folks are taking it upon themselves to choose people to go back to Egypt where it was easier to just throw your baby in the Nile. They're just not thinking. And when you don't walk by faith and you're resting on your own intellect, we just make dumb mistakes after dumb mistakes. We say stupid things. And unfortunately, we bear the fruit of it. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jeff, uh, him, <laughs> who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel. They're not on their faces. They're not done with this yet. It's one last plea, you know. They tore their clothes. That's a, that's a sign of repentance. That's a sign of, oh, you know, just lamentation, or I don't know how you want to describe it in our words today, but they ripped their clothes saying, oh, you've got to listen. The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. You're looking at who's occupying it. We're looking at us occupying it. It's going to be awesome. There is so much fruit and bounty. Everything's fertile. Everybody's going to have their own vine. Everybody's going to have their own fig tree. Everybody's going to have their own plot of land. We're going to live in peace because God's our protector because we trust him by faith. It's going to be amazing. That's how they saw it. And they're the ones that saw the sons of Anak. The descendants of Anak were right before them. This is He's, all they saw when they see these big guys is he's going to make a big dent in the ground when he hits it. They didn't see the struggle because they knew God was with them, because God had called them to this. It's a good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Now, God heard that. He hears their complaining, but he also hears Joshua and Caleb. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. A great nation is only a great nation if God is the protector. Don't trust in chariots and horses. Don't trust in navies. Don't trust in armies, tanks, nukes. Don't trust in those things. A nation is great because it has God as their leader. And these folks were great, but they're not anymore. And these guys knew that. God's departed from these people. He's evicting them from the land. There's nothing they can do about it. It's ours for the taking. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. That was their response. Kill them. So remember that if you're one of the two, and you're walking by faith, and God's told you to do something, and everybody wants to kill you because they think you're a fool, Remember that. Remember these guys. Because the folks that said to pick up rocks are the ones that are going to die. I'm just doing that to encourage you. And if you're one of the ten, don't be. (laughs) Don't be. Ask God to change your heart, to give you faith, to increase your faith, to trust him more and more. Not by presumption, but because he's asked you and told you and commanded you and ordered you and I'm going to do this great thing. Trust him. Trust him. Either way, nobody has to worry here, especially the two. Stone them with stones. Um, And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now, 
the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So this is a fast, rapid God showing up. He doesn't do that. He doesn't show up for everybody. I mean, the fire was there and the smoke was there, but not like this. This was usually done just for the 70 elders. Remember last week when they got the spirit? This is in front of everybody. He shows up. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a a nation greater and mightier than they. I'd like to just wipe them out and start with you over again. I don't mean to smile, but I wonder if they'd still be called Israelites. Probably. I mean, Moses was an Israelite, but still. And Moses said to the Lord, and I remember these two go back and forth. God and Moses go back and forth about whose people these are. I'm going to wipe them out, Moses, and start with you. Moses says, yeah, let's do that. No, he doesn't. (laughs) But last week he might have. Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of of this land. Uh, They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man... Then the nations which have heard of your, of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering. He's reminding God of his own words. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of these people, of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Think about it before you do this. Your name's going to be smeared if you do this to the people, you know? Everybody's going to be saying how you couldn't do this. You see God's nature here. You see both sides of the Lord. You see him as perfectly just. These people doubt. These people are rebellious. These people need to die. That's just. They don't follow their leader. This is mutiny. On the other hand, he also puts it on Moses' heart to pray this prayer. That's what God wants to do, and that's how he works with us. God is perfectly just, but he's also long-suffering, patient, and kind. wants to give mercy and forgive. So he hears that prayer that he put on Moses' heart. Then the Lord said, I have have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Remember that. That's a part of salvation also. They're still going to have the the rain and the blessing as long as they live on this earth. The sun will shine on those who have accepted Christ and those who haven't. The rain will fall on the just and the unjust. But there's an inheritance to be gained for those who believe on Jesus. And there's an inheritance to be lost for those who don't. And they'll lose it if they don't trust in Jesus. But my servant, Caleb... Because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, 
I will bring him, or I'll bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Uh, Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Caleb's going to make it. Joshua and Caleb are both going to make it, but Caleb's going to make it, and Joshua's going to make it. They're going to have to wait a long time, 45, or 40 years actually. They're 45 now. They have to wait 40 more years before they can actually come into the land. And that's going to be a long 40 years for Caleb, I'm sure. Because Caleb should have been able to spend his whole life underneath his own fig tree, with his own vine, with his own plot of land, having grandkids over, you know, every Passover, you know. There they are. There's, there's the whole brood. Love them. That's how it was supposed to be. That's how it was supposed to go down, but that's not how it's going to go down for him, unfortunately. He's got to wait. They got in the way. They didn't believe God, um, these ten Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell, so I want you to go by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complains against me, or who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. You said it. You've proclaimed your own judgment. We're going to die in the wilderness. Yep, you are now. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness, all of you who were numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of um, Jephthah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall In this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. The kids suffer not because they got beat up by the Amalekites or the Canaanites or the the perceived threats in the future. They got beat up by their own parents. Their own parents' lack of faith, their own parents' inability to walk by faith and to to believe God at his word, they have to now bear that brunt, unfortunately. It's too true. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you have, you have known my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil generation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there they shall die. Now, the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died uh, by the plague before the Lord. Uh, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of um, Jephnuah, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. Now, here's the thing. Watch this. This looks like a good idea. This 39. Uh, all the way through 45 here. But it's not. There was an opportunity to walk by faith. There was an opportunity to do what God said, and they rejected that opportunity. To assume that you can restart that opportunity anytime you feel feisty, anytime you feel like it, this is presumption here. This is where we get our faith straightened out. We get our doctrine straightened out. No, that was the appointed time. You missed that time. Now God has said something else. He's given you new orders. You're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, to be obedient to that means you wander around in the 
wilderness for 40 years. It doesn't mean that you say, no, 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 we've changed our mind. We've got to follow God's word. We have to believe him at his word. Whether it's the land of milk and honey or whether it's, okay, this is my lot now in life. Accepting what God's, where he's placed you, that's faith. You still have to walk by faith. They're still not walking by faith. Look at this. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose eagerly. So they had zeal, good intentions, in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are, and here we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by the enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Seems like the right thing to do. Sorry, we believe you now. We want to go do it. No, if you believe me now, then you're going to do what I've asked you to do now. Which is to wander around the wilderness. I want there to be a lesson here. There's, There's what the children of Israel needed to learn and what we need to learn. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. It's being with God that matters. That's all that matters. Am I walking with God? If walking with God means 40 years in the wilderness and that's obedience to God, then that's what I want. I want to walk with God. If walking with God is a land flowing with milk and honey, but with a lot of battles where I'm going to have to trust him for success and victory, I want that. Either way, I want to walk with God where he has, where he has for me. I don't want to just see the missed opportunities and say, oh, can we do a do-over on that? You know, I want to do what he's asked me to do. Or faith. Listen for God. Wait for him to lead you and guide you in the direction you're supposed to go. And then believe him when he says, this is the direction I want you to go and that I'll be with you when, I, when you go there. And then, and then do it. Not because you know it's going to work out, but because he said it's going to work out. You see? And you walk with God that way your whole life, day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation. You got to pray about everything? Yes. Yes. Yes, you do, you know. As if you want to know what God's will is, you do. If you don't want to know what God's will is, then don't bother asking him, you know. I mean, it goes without saying. What a great picture for us here. I mean, it's sad. It's going to get better. Joshua and Caleb are going to take a bunch of people over, and it's going to go really well. We're going to see the March of Jericho and all that. and It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful conquering of this land. We've got to wait 40 years, but it'll be great. It'll be great when they go in. Anyway, I hope we got it in our hearts, right? You know, how important faith in God is, how important faith in Jesus is. And the world needs to know this too. We have to have our doctrine right to explain this stuff to people who don't know anything about it. We really do. We have to get this in our heart. Because putting up placard, placards on our, on our houses that aren't accurate about God, 
or to have bumper stickers that don't reflect God's word correctly, you know, that are boisterous and maybe even presumptuous in some ways, doesn't help his cause, which is to win the world for him. We need to get this stuff right. I think we do. I think we do. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us these examples for admonition to admonish us. And so God, help us to walk by faith, truly believing in you and trusting you when you call us at your direction, at your command, that we would go and do what you've asked us to do. Even if we have all the facts and they don't look favorable, um, you've told us that it's going to be favorable. So we believe you, not the facts. The facts are that you're huge and you're mighty and that whatever you want to accomplish gets accomplished. And so it makes no difference of what uh, the facts are compared to my strength. The facts compared to your strength are all that matters. So God, help us to walk that way each and every day, in every situation, even something we maybe we've been praying about this week. And you've given us direction, but we're a little fearful. Lord, help us not to be like the ten. Help us to be like the two, Joshua and Caleb. And we thank you for those men. Thank you for their heart, their faithfulness uh, in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.